Hi, this is Wig. What is Global Health? The podcast from the Journal of Global Health at Columbia University that explores the philosophical underbelly of provocative issues in public health and science research. I'm Connie Chen, and this is episode number four. This week, the spotlight is on the Coney 2012 controversy and youth social movements. Our guests are Maya Cohen, executive director of GloMed, and Nicole Dussault of GloMed's Columbia University chapter. In case you're wondering, GloMed, with over 45 chapters nationwide, is one of the largest student-driven global health organizations in the United States. It's composed of networks of university students who work together with grassroots community organizations around the world to improve the health of the impoverished. And in fact, we had such a stimulating discussion with Maya and Nicole that we decided episode number four will be delivered in two parts. Part one is entitled, Because You're a Student. What is special about a social movement driven by students? Maya and Nicole comment on how GlobeMet has empowered students to put their visions of the world into action. Part two is entitled, Coney 2012, Social Media and Agency. As the New York Times puts it, Do social media campaigns give young people a false sense of accomplishment? And what is the meaning of agency, anyway? You're currently listening to episode number four, part two. Here's Kevin Chu. It's it's really so impressive um, what's come out of all this work. And it's, I was just thinking for a moment, um, both of you, both of us, both of you were talking about um, social media, um, that experience of, talking with Pamela and um, just how, how, how memorable and how striking um, and how powerful it is. Um, and, and it made me, it reminded me of um, this recent room for debate uh, question in the New York Times. And it's sort of a segue to, to Coney. And they're talking about social media and just how powerful it is and how, how it allows so much, so, so much, uh, so much incredible stuff to be done ultimately. And the question was, do social media campaigns like Coney end up giving young people a false sense of accomplishment, detracting from real action? And that was just something that um, just came into my head while listening to, um, to you guys talk about um, your, uh, your collaboration with, with Gulu and, um, so I just want just, I was I would I would be pretty curious to um, hear what your take is on this. Hmm. This is a really really timely question I think for I think for a few reasons. Um, I think the first is that I don't think that um, there's necessarily a need to condemn social media. Um, it's not an either or. We should really think of the, about this as an and. Social media, you know, we've seen um, has been a really, really powerful tool for um, mobilizing young people. And so, I, you know, I think that oftentimes it's this thing where, you know, the revolution will not be tweeted. Um, I would rather say the revolution will be tweeted and it will be all these other things. Um, so I don't I don't think we have to, you know, kind of condemn it as one thing or the other. I think that there are two two key things that need to be considered in this question. Um, the first is that, you know, I, I was talking with Pamela this morning and we were talking about the Coney 2012 video and what she said was, you know, about a hundred people maybe in Gulu have seen this movie, um, Coney 2012, and most of them are expats. And the thing is that, um, the access to um, internet, even to electricity, is so slim in Gulu that um, 
you know, the people about whom the story is being told are not um, having access to, to the story and we're largely not engaged in telling the story. So let's imagine for, for a second that you, um, you're having a story being told about you and your community and you don't know that it's happening. You weren't engaged in the telling of this story and people are mobilizing around the world um, to to respond to the story in some way and you are not involved. Like, that seems like a strange parallel universe sci-fi film, right? I mean, it just seems so so bizarre that that would happen and that is, in a sense, what it, what is happening right now. Um, and Pamela's point was that if you, you know, narratives are really powerful and if you're going to tell a story about a particular community, you better damn well involve them in the telling of that story. You better give them a voice. You better give them a place at the table. You better give them the microphone and let them explain what their experiences have been. Um, and, and so the problem with the Coney 2012 video and social media right now is that the people and the communities about whom the story is being told are not, are not plugged in. And that, that is, is an issue of, of power. It's an issue of voice. It's an issue of perspective. It's, um, it's a huge, it's, it's, it's something that really, really needs to be considered. You know, she said social media is just not something that's present in Gulu. Um, and so I, I think that, you know, in the, in the coming years, you know, the access to internet is going to skyrocket. This will change. But I think that we need to be incredibly critical of stories that are being told about communities um, who aren't being involved in the, in the telling of their own narratives. Um, that being said, I think that there are times in which social media can be very powerful. And I think it's about what your goal is. Um, and I, I think that social media can be a part of the puzzle. But the, the question always needs to be, what are you trying to achieve? And are your actions going to lead you there? And I think your point, Kevin, is that, you know, does liking something on Facebook or buying a bracelet or an action kit or posting something, is that going to logically get you to your point? Um, or to your end goal. And, and that question is really about putting your values into action and living and breathing them every day. Um, and that's something that is a lifelong process and that I hope that GlobeMed is challenging students to do. Um, because, because liking something on Facebook or posting something or tweeting something, um, you know, voice is an important part of it, but actions, you know, speak louder than words. And you, in order to actually make the change, you need to put your values into action and think about how, you know, what are the, what is the result of what I'm doing and is it going to bring me closer to the goal? And the truth is that social change is hard. It takes time, it's difficult, it takes collaboration and compromise, it takes perseverance and the constant ability to, um, to adapt. And, um, you know, that is something that um, I'm not sure our society is, um, with its short attention span, is so um, equipped to be doing. And so I think that as young people, we need to challenge ourselves to think about, um, you know, what it really takes to make social change. Um, and again, I think tweeting and Facebook and all of it can be part of it. It's about and, not or. Um, but it's only going to be one piece of the equation. And we need to make sure that the people who um, were ostensibly trying to, um, you know, work with to realize their, you know, their inherent rights um, are being not only brought to the table, but are being handed the microphone and being able to tell their own story and have their voice brought into the, you know, put at the forefront. Um, so yeah, Nicole, what are your, what are your thoughts? We talked about this at our, um, Glomid eboard meeting and I have mixed opinions on this video cause 
like you said, it's a video that focuses a lot on the organization Invisible Children. Well, and I would much rather people hear about Gweji and hear about other, you know, Ugandan organizations that are trying to rebuild Uganda and are trying to, you know, work to heal a nation that's been through so much violence and so much conflict. And I think that that those voices are the ones that should be heard. But on the other hand, I mean, our our generation is very apathetic in some ways and very, you know, disconnected from anything real. We're, we're very connected on Facebook and, you know, Twitter and Reddit and such, but we're kind of disconnected from real world issues. And I think that if this video and this campaign has done anything, it might have at least created a stepping stone to, or at least created a basis where, you know, organizations like GlobeMed and working, you know, with Gweji and organizations that are, you know, interacting with the community and interacting with, the orga- with and interacting with, you know, real, real citizens of the world who are engaged in these issues can then, you know, take over and say, okay, you've heard this side of the story. Now, now here's ours. Now that you're interested, now that you know, now that you're aware, here's the other side of the view. And I, I would never, I, I always support, I, I think it's always good to create dialogue and I think that this Coney thing definitely has created dialogue. We've heard we've heard the Coney story um, from the Coney 2012, and then we've heard all of the backlash against Coney 2012. And just just that, I mean, people are talking about people are talking about you know talking about it. And I, I think that's it, so new to me to hear people who aren't in Globe Med talking about Uganda and talking about Coney and the LRA and uh, Invisible Children. And I think that's that's. I, I don't really know, again, this is one of the things I talked about, I don't know where I quite stand on it yet, because, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's a it's a two, double, double-edged sword, is that the right phrase? But it, it really is, I mean, I think what, what GlobeMed needs to do right now is take this initiative and take this, you know, wave of passion and inspiration that so many people have got from the 2012 video, because it really has. It really did inspire a lot of people, and I must give them credit for that, because few organizations have managed to spread their message so quickly, so effectively, and so broadly. But that that energy needs to be directed somewhere, I think, more productive. And I think that organizations like Wedgie could capitalize on that to bring attention to their cause and bring attention to the work that they're doing right now in a way that would, you know, sort of create more of a change that is tangible than just spreading a video via Facebook. And so that, that's, that's what my hope is for this, that good can come out of it and that all of the hype and all of the, you know, you know, all the energy that's being created right now will be funneled towards supporting organizations in Uganda that are currently working to rebuild the country. And so, mm. yeah, that, that's, mm. that's, I guess, I don't know necessarily, I, like I said, I'm a little torn in how I feel about it, but that's what I hope for it. Yeah, I think I think a lot of people actually agree with Nicole that raising awareness is good, but it's just perhaps the oversimplification of the story of these people and the lack of perspective um, that's criticized a lot. But um, maybe more broadly for GlobeMed, how how do you sort of strike a balance between the need to raise awareness 
um, and and to sort of emphasize action also. Where does where does GlobeMed what does GlobeMed view as the importance of raising awareness? I think that um, I think the thing is that we actually challenge the fact that those two things could ever be separate. Um, I, the whole you know, GlobeMed was born out of the question of what is the best way for students to work with communities to um, achieve the vision of health and dignity for all. And the, the answer that we've gotten from that is that you have to think deeply and critically about what you're doing. You have to listen, you have to be patient, you have to know, you have to question um, in order to actually make any change. Um, and I think that, that in, in taking that stance, what we say is that awareness, awareness without awareness um, isn't awareness. And what I mean by that is that you know, you just knowing surface level about something isn't understanding it deeply. And if you don't understand it deeply, how are you going to push the levers of change to affect something um, at the deep and structural level that you're going to need to in order to make that change? Um, and so, and so for us, I don't think we see it as one or the other. I think we say it takes time, it takes patience, um, it takes dedication. But in the long run, there's no other way to go about it. Um, because these issues are complex and we're dealing with human lives. And what that means is that we have a responsibility to, to get it right um, and, and to work together to figure out what the real issues are and how to actually um, make that change. One thing I was, one thing that's really striking me right now that I'm kind of curious about, I'd love to hear your perspectives. Um, at least in the in the past week or so, just going back to what we were saying about Coney, this just, just popped into my head. I remember reading yesterday, they said they say that it's become the most the most viral video in history. Um and, and um, one that's, wow. that, really, that makes me curious given all this traction that uh Globemet has gained and the enormous and just really inspiring progress that's been going on. I have a question about about context or about the about the time period that we're in at the moment. Um, let's say if we go to a cert, a different time era. Um, let's say maybe the '90s or sometime in the in the '80s. Would would something like Coney or would would GlobeMed gain the traction that um, or the or the popularity that it's gained in 2012? Um, would these type would this type of movement? Um, thrive in a different time period is there something something about our time at the moment um that there's, there's something fundamentally lacking I, I was just wondering about, about about right now um so i'd be curious about your take on that yeah i think that um i, I glowman would not work in the 90s um because of the fact that um it's built on the power of human connection and the ability to actually talk and communicate often with people on the other side of the world. I mean, when if you think about the relationships that you have in your life, the thing that keeps them going is communication. Um, I mean, that's you know, that's you know the basis of of um, 
of most of our relationships, I think. And so it's it's fascinating to think about the fact that I, I do think that um, this time and the technological advances that have been made are really the foundation on which we've been able to build this global network of human connection. Um, in terms of the Coney 2012 video, yeah, I mean, it's the same thing. And just in terms of like having the 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 whole term viral media is built on the rapidity of um, the exchange of information. I mean, it's just like if you don't have the host that the virus is moving through, which I suppose is the the interwebs, um, then you know it would never work. Um, so I I don't I think this is a really unique time to be able to actually bridge this um, bridge the the uh, what what was huge gaps between different parts of the world um, that are rapidly closing today um, and being able to share information much more rapidly than than ever before. And like Maya was saying, I mean, part of the reason we're able to maintain such a strong relationship with our partner organizations because of things like Skype and the internet, email, um, you know, video forums that allow us to, you know, connect with each other instantly and very, you know, very fully. So I think without these modern technologies, the model wouldn't be able to work quite as effectively yeah. as it does right now. I would go, I would even go so far as to say, um, I think, I mean, and I was an English major, I have no science background, so take this with a grain of salt. Um, <laughs> but I think that the, the um, act of seeing someone else's face, being able to turn on video Skype and see the face and um, connect that with the voice and the story of someone on the other side of the world is neurologically different than reading an email than getting on a phone call. And I think that the ability of uh, people to, to connect deeply despite never having met, um, but being able to look face-to-face is actually an incredibly important opportunity that was never available to people before. And if someone is studying neuroscience and has anything to say about that, I would love to hear it. This is a pop science theory that I've had for a while. (laughs) I think that's pretty valid. Um, I think I remember learning like in U.S. history in high school um, during the Vietnam War for the first time, they showed video footage and photography of dead bodies for the first time on television and through media. So it totally changes, changes the way that we view the world, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, Kevin, did you, did you have any other questions? Yeah, um, I, I have a couple more um, that I'm curious about. Let's just, uh, let's just finish up with the last few questions. Um, I, I was just wondering, um, what's, what's, what are your, uh, Maya and Nicole, what, what's your definition of agency? Um, what and what? How did you sort of come up with this definition over time? Has it changed over time? What does what does agency mean to you? Agency is something that I've been really thinking a lot about lately, and through the readings I've done and the classes I'm taking, and I work with GlobeMed, and I think agency is about allowing people the chance to. You know, it, it, it's Amartya Sen puts it really well. He he's written a book called um, Development is Freedom. It's a very famous book, and it's about the idea of capabilities and what you're able—not just what you do do, but what the, what you could do and the opportunities available to you. And I think that's so important. And one of his examples is that a man who is starving because he can't access food is very different than a man who is starving because he's on a hunger strike. The man who's on the hunger strike 
could could eat. He has the capability to eat, but he doesn't because he chooses that. He has the agency to choose not to eat. That's his decision. But the man who's starving because of lack of access to food or economic possibilities to gain food is starving because he's lacking of agency. And I think something that GlobeMed really does stri- strive to do is to create agency for the people that um, in the partner communities. And that's so important in enabling people to be able to thrive and live, live to their full potential and allowing people to take the actions that they take because that is the choice that they have decided would be best for them and not the choice that they are taking because their opportunities are constrained and limited by the circumstances to which they live. And I think it's just so important that people have agency because it allows them to have dignity and allows them to have uh, opportunities to expand their expand themselves and to grow and learn and to become the people that they want to be. And I think that's why I really I, I really have thought a lot about this idea of agency and why it's so important to to humanity. And I, I really think that enabling people to have agency is one of the most important things you can do for them. And by restricting someone's agency, you're really limiting them and their ability to live live to their full potential and live their life to its fullest. And so I think any sort of situation that limits someone's agency is just is something that like 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 economic conditions or lack of education or lack of you know proper sanitation or housing all those things work to limit our agency and i think those are the sorts of things that we need to be fixing in the world right now like creating conditions where people are able to thrive and people are able to choose the path they want to take because they think that that will enable them to you know create a better life for themselves so i think that's 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 what glomed does we 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 remove the barriers that hinder people's agency and i think that's what gwedgie does in gulu and they're, they're creating such positive social change because they're allowing the members of their community to take control of their own lives and to you know to to really just seize seize their own power and empower themselves i just i that that's one of the most powerful things that both gwedgie and then glomed uh furthermore do mm-hmm. Well, that was, that was fantastic, Nicole. Oh. <laughs> that was beautiful. Um, and I'll, I'll only add just just a few more things um, to, to back up everything that Nicole said. Um, in terms of very specifically how I saw this in place um, with, with Gweji when I was there in northern Uganda, you know, um, I think there, there are a few ways in which I saw this happen. Um, just the, the importance of linking um, agency and um, power with the fight for, for health. Um, you know, when you when you think about um, the structures that uh, cause people to suffer, you know, it's both both positive and negative things um, in terms of um, both uh, depravity and forces acting actively on them. So what I mean by that is that, you know, you can say very directly that um, military oppression, um, being beaten or thrown into jail, um, is is an act of, of oppression, is circumscribing agency. You know, prison is, is such a powerful example of that. But how is that um, related to, for example, not having access to clean water? What is the relationship between that same kind of um, circumscription of someone's um, abilities, you know, that between um, being, you know, 
uh, civically or politically oppressed versus um, lacking the access to your basic your basic needs in order in order to survive and live a healthy life and um, you know that's that's a really fascinating question to explore um, and is very you know it, it requires a you know, a much longer conversation. Um, but what, what Pamela helped me to understand is that if you take a community um, that, you know, for example, doesn't have access to clean water, doesn't have a functioning health system, um, you know, doesn't have access to nutrition or education, if you take that community, um, then one of the things that they need is immediate resources, but the, the second and equally as important thing that they need is to have the power to um, put their voice in front of the people who make the decisions about that community. And what that means is democratic mobilization. For Pamela, you know, the act of just getting a well into a community and getting clean water is only half of the equation. The other half is being able to empower that community to elect a leader who's going to give voice to their needs and fight for their rights. And by doing that, you know, she says that's the only way you're going to be able to change the structures that are really um, oppressing the communities that she's that that she's a part of and that she's living and working for. Um, and so, you know. The, that that act of challenging power, of thinking about the relationship between health and power um, is something that really, I think, ties together civil rights, political rights, um, you know, right to health, right to education, all of these different factors, and shows us that they're actually part of one fabric and that we can't think of them, that we can't think of them independently. Um, I think the second thing that I'll add is that there's a very deeply personal experience to this um, that I that I saw when I was working um, in northern Uganda with Gwedji. And what I saw was that, you know, um, Pamela starts out, she said to us when we, when we got to Gulu, she said, listen, you know, you're going to have the chance to go in and meet the families who received goats through the projects that you helped funded. And what I want you to know is that they're going to be so deeply grateful for what, um, they're able to receive through this project, but they're going to be deeply grateful, not because you swept in and saved them in some way, but because you helped them realize the rights that they deserved in the first place. And that, that is such a powerful message to say, you know, you are helping them, you know, not um, lift them up, you know, with your helping hand, but you're, you're helping them realize what they deserved, you know, just by being human. And that's the message that she brings to every community that she works in. When she when she enters a community, you know, what she says is, you are a human being, you have inherent rights, you are worthwhile, um, you have value as a person. And because you have value as a person, that's why you deserve water, and that's why you deserve education, and that's why you deserve food. And that is um, that empowering message. Like all of us have had the experience of having someone look at us and say, "You have value as a human being. You are important just because you are human and because you are special and you are you." And that is something that all of us can relate to, and that is a deeply personal um, and empowering experience that I think often gets left behind in in, in quote unquote development work. Um, and that is a message that cannot be cannot be underestimated for its power because in order for a community to advocate for it, for its rights, it has to first believe that it has value. And each individual person in that community, a woman who you know um, has 
been oppressed by her husband or, you know, kids who have experienced the violence of being child soldiers or any of that, they have to actually believe first and foremost that they have value and that they, their voices matter. And from that, that, you know, that's when that change comes. Um, and so I, I think that that was something that I learned so profoundly is to not discount the deeply human experience of empowerment of human rights and of feeling the value of, of yourself as a human being. Yeah, that's really profound. Wow. Um, yeah, I don't usually hear that at all um, when I read about or um, hear about development work, the the human component. Mm-hmm. Um, Kevin, unless you had any other questions to add? Um, I've, I've asked enough at this point. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We just have one last question that... We ask everybody that we interview for WIG, um, and it's for both of you. So we'd be interested in hearing your opinion on the question, what is global health? <laughs> Nicole, do you want to start? <laughs> oh, thank you, Maya. <laughs> it's a tough one. <laughs> what is global health? You know, I think global health, we just, we just, you should have asked us this before we started talking about agency and everything, because it's <laughs> basically said everything. Still my line. I stole my own line. Um, <laughs> global health is about... Oh, see, what, what is health, really, is so important. And then it's global health is that for everyone, right? And health is just giving people the chance to thrive and to be in a state where they are you know, glad to be alive and where they feel fulfilled and where they feel they feel that their lives are worth living. And then global health is that for everyone. It doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter who you are or what you have. It's just everyone should have that. Everyone should have the chance to lead a healthy life and not just, and by that I don't mean like just a life free from illness and a life free from, you know, we all, we all get sick. I just mean a life, a healthy life, a fulfilling, satisfying and you know full life that isn't impeded by outside forces that you know restrict your agency as we've been talking about that that's for me what why i care about global health and why i am you know dedicating my life to this field is just creating those conditions for everyone because i think everyone deserves them that was beautiful nicole Thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think um, this is such a fascinating question. I think that it's actually easier to answer when you're just diving into it, and it gets harder and harder to answer the deeper you get in. Um, and the reason for that is that the thing that I love about health and about um, global health is that, to me, health, um, you know, parts of health are determined by our, by our genetics. Um, by things that are just inherent in, in the way that we're set up as human beings. But um, in so many ways, our health um, is determined by um, the experiences that we have, the places that we live, um, the way in which we are valued or devalued um, as, as people in our societies. And um, so the way that I see health is that it's the social, political, economic um, factors that act on you manifested in your body. If you take anyone, um, anyone in anywhere around the world and you look at why they die, 
you can uncover so much about that person um, and, and understand so much about their life and the society that they lived in by looking at that question. Why does a 30-year-old mother in Zambia die of HIV? You know, by asking that question, that is the, that is the life or death question, the basic, the fundamental question, um, you know, that you start with. But backing out from that, you interact with so many different historical, political, economic, social, um, environmental factors that, that what it does is it, it really shows the ways in which all of those factors play out on our, on, on life and death, um, circumstances in each of our lives and and it to me what's so beautiful or um challenging about that is that it it really um makes it clear that all of those factors come down uh, to the moral question of whether or not people have the opportunity to live to their greatest potential and brings into light the fact that everything from an economic policy to an environmental decision um you know, deeply impacts whether how people live and why they die, um, which is a you know it becomes in in so many ways um, a really powerful uh, lens to understand what is right and wrong about the choices that we're making and how we're seeing each other as human beings. Um, so you know, I think that that's the health piece. In terms of um, the global piece, you know, global health versus international health, something that you learn in all of your basic global health classes. The idea of global is an, is an assumption of being interconnected. Um, you know, international health draws the line between national and out there. And global health implies that, you know, we, we you, you know, send a ripple through one end of the world and it, it will hit someone else's body, physical body in another. Um, and I think that, you know, we're seeing that this is true everything from, you know, migrating patterns of pollution to um, the movement of um, infectious agents um, to um, food prices and how that affects whether or not someone can afford bread um, in, you know, in Uganda. Um, and on so many different levels, it really asks us to say, it really asks us to question um, how our actions affect the people around us. Um, that to me is such a fascinating intellectual question. I think it's the issue of our day. I think global health is one piece of this. There are many different ways to answer that question. Um, but again, the reason that I love it is because it's looking at the ways in which those factors play themselves out on human bodies, on human lives. Um, and, you know, to me, there's no, there's no more important question than that. Um, that that's about, you know, our fundamental humanity. Um, so that was in no way, shape, or form a, a concrete answer. Um, and, you know, Nicole's, I think, was, was beautiful. Um, but those are the things that I carry around with me on a day-to-day -day basis and why I, why I wake up every morning excited to be involved in this field. This has been WIG, What is Global Health? The podcast from the Journal of Global Health at Columbia University. You just listened to episode number four, part two, Coney 2012 Social Media and Agency. Thank you so much to Maya Cohen, Executive Director of GlobeMed, and Nicole Dussault of GlobeMed at Columbia for joining us. Thanks also to Karina Yu for contributing to this episode, and to Kevin Chu for co-hosting. You can find previous episodes of WIG online at www.ghjournal.org slash WIG. That's www.ghjournal.org slash WIG, W-I-G-H, question mark. We're excited to announce that WIG is also available now on iTunes. Thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next time.